Welcome to Simply PM&R, a Mayo Clinic Talks production. The simple solution for physical medicine and rehabilitation healthcare professionals, keeping you up to date while you're on the go. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Bro, physiatrist and PM&R at the Mayo Clinic. One in three Americans will be affected by cancer sometime in their life. Survival rates continue to improve with specialized treatment. Many of these treatments, however, have significant side effects, and these side effects can affect the patient's functional level. We're joined today by Dr. Andrea Cheville, a colleague at the Mayo Clinic and a specialist in cancer rehab. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, as a general physiatrist, what is cancer rehab? Cancer rehabilitation is often defined as as interdisciplinary care that's delivered to patients with all stages, all types of cancer, to address symptoms, to enhance quality of life, and principally to help them function better, to continue to fulfill their defining life roles. Those can be vocational. We want them to stay at work if that makes sense for them or return to work. Uh, Their familial roles, their social avocational roles, we want our patients within the constraints imposed by their disease and its treatment to continue living full, rewarding, and productive lives. You know, there, there's a, a great many treatments for many different cancers. What are some of the common side effects of those treatments? You know, one of the tough realities of cancer is that the cancer cells come from us. And so there is, is truly nothing we do to eliminate cancer that doesn't have an adverse effect on normal tissue or on the patient. So uh, certainly there are the acute effects of of chemotherapy, which I think a lot of folks are familiar with. Chemotherapy will drop blood counts, it can injure kidneys, lung, uh, certainly nerves, and that's very relevant to physiatry because whether it's a focal mononeuropathy or the much more common chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy, these folks uh, lose dexterity, but particularly balance. And now there has is an expanding literature highlighting that these folks are more likely to fall. So we, we talked a little bit about chemo-associated and joint pain. Arthralgias are common with uh, the taxanes that we use. Also, what's frequently called chemo fog or, or less graciously chemo brain, but, but that's a loss of executive cognitive functioning. And for a long time, folks said, yeah, you're stressed, you have cancer, you're probably depressed and anxious, of course you're not thinking well. But when we take cohorts of patients and serially assess them over the course of their cancer treatment, unequivocally, there are cognitive deficits. And for some of our our patients who are in fairly demanding jobs, that can be a difference between employability and uh, being out of work. So that's, a, a, I guess, a whole group, a whole spectrum of, of deficits. Uh, certainly, surgery removes the anatomy containing and surrounding the cancer, which may destabilize musculoskeletal structures. We take out bones, muscle, 
frequently it affects uh, the central, the peripheral nervous system. We take out lymphatics, which cause, can lead to lymphedema. Uh, and radiation, as well as surgery, can cause loss of suppleness, tissue contracture, sometimes very profound with significant associated impairments and disability. So do you counsel your patients that with like the neurological effects of chemotherapy, will it improve once they're done with the chemo, or is it a permanent problem? Often it, it improves, and the, the unfortunate truth is that our first-line therapies for many cancers, lung, uh, gynecological malignancies, including ovarian, include neurotoxic agents, the, the taxanes and the platins, and often in combination, and were much better now in, in treating patients and that we, we more consistently assess their neurologic function and will reduce the dose if they start to develop neurotoxic symptoms. For some patients, that will never go away. The, the, the teaching is that, that it improves, and often it does, but that may not be to the point of complete resolution, and sometimes it even gets worse. So how does an approach to cancer rehab different from a general physiatry or general practice? In a couple important ways. I think one critical take-home is recognizing that cancer patients can derive benefit from conventional rehabilitative treatments just like everybody else. There's nothing about having cancer that prevents a patient from responding extremely well to physical occupational therapy and injection. However, there, there are some key things that should be considered. First, many cancer patients, particularly those with later stage disease, have intense pain. And we are more comfortable using opioid analgesics and, and these agents at high doses among cancer populations. So how we prioritize our analgesic strategies may be different. And the, the Centers for Disease Control has emphasized that cancer patients are a population where opioids are appropriate, they can be very beneficial. It doesn't mean that we should not attempt to taper them when they're no longer appropriate. So I, th I think our willingness to use opioids is an important difference in the fact that unless we address the pain, patients will not be able to engage fully in the rehabilitative process. The second is diagnostically. The population of cancer survivors in the United States is burgeoning. Uh, we will see these folks in our musculoskeletal clinics and different physiatric settings. And once a patient has had cancer, cancer recurrence should always be on the differential diagnosis. It needs to be somewhere in the back of your mind. Could this be recurrent cancer? And if so, what, what workup, what imaging study would be appropriate? And often we, we need to reach out to our oncologic colleagues for guidance in that regard. The other important point in managing cancer patients is that these folks, uh, as they go through treatment, are stressed, they're energetically depleted, and so, and getting, enhancing their function is not their primary goal, which differs from, from many of the folks we see. So being willing to be flexible and, and uh, individualize our approaches to rehab so that matches and meshes with their cancer therapy and 
their energetic reserves, the time available. Cancer treatment is incredibly not only costly, but time consuming. So they may not have the bandwidth at this point in time to go regularly to physical therapy. So we, we need to consider that and be sensitive, humane, uh, and very attentive in, in developing our treatment plans. Wow, cancer treatment seems like it incorporates a lot of different healthcare professionals, not only rehab, but who else besides the oncologist? I know we have a, a palliative care treatment program here, and who's involved with that? So cancer is indeed a done well, a an interdisciplinary uh, specialty, cancer cancer management. So we have our our colleagues that whose focus is treating the cancer, and those are generally radiation oncologists, medical. Uh, and surgical oncologists, our surgeons, orthopedists obviously can play a very important role. Many times urologists will be the primary um, docs managing GU, uh, gas, uh, genitourinary malignancies, prostate and, and bladder. Then we have uh, the support structure Many times uh, allied health professionals, nurses are critical members of the extensive, extended cancer care team. Social workers, psychologists play a very important role, and psychiatrists. Um, our colleagues in palliative care, which is also an, an interdisciplinary specialty comprised of, of uh, physician and nurse, physical uh, physician assistant clinicians. So... I think what's what's vital for the physiatrist to appreciate is the availability of all these different disciplines is very contextual. If a patient is being treated in a community oncology practice, they may not have an extent. It may just be the medical oncologist. If they're at a, a community hospital or if they're at a, a large quaternary high-volume center, very, very different stories. So appreciating the constraints of the different context uh, in which we treat cancer is important. Great points. Today's episode was sponsored by Mayo Clinic Online CME, offering on-demand medical education and a wide variety of specialties. This includes the Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation online board review course. Enter your boards with confidence, whether it's your first time through or for recertification. Learn on your own time and earn credit. Register today at ce.mayo.edu slash online. So, Dr. Cheville, do these patients with cancer and side effects of treatment have uh, any special homegoing needs? You know, I would say the, the principal need, if, if they're being dismissed, is to anticipate where they will be two weeks, four weeks, six weeks from the point of dismissal because they are incredibly dynamic. Uh, they, depending on why they were hospitalized uh, or, or in, uh, admitted to a rehabilitation facility, we may anticipate that their deficits will improve. Often the, the post-operative, the post-radiation complications get better. However, many of the folks that require inpatient rehabilitative care or even acute care have high-risk cancers or metastatic disease, stage 4 disease. 
and they are at risk for progression. Many of them will re-enter uh, aggressive anti-cancer treatments in weeks to months. And so I think one of the most valuable roles that, that the physiatrist and other rehabilitation professionals can play is helping to coach and prepare the family and the patient uh, in future strategies to stay functional and really reinforcing our availability. What is the role of rehab? Because unfortunately our work over the years and that of other investigative teams has shown that most cancer patients have their first exposure to rehabilitation services in the hospital. Not even though they become disabled as outpatients, it's usually we in the hospital that we see them. So, uh, apprising our patients of the resources available to them to preserve their function, I think is, is a critical contribution we can make to their overall care. So is there a role for prehabilitation before starting cancer treatment? Prehabilitation has become a very popular buzzword. And, and I have to say, it's, it's, it appeals to patients, the idea that, that you train for your cancer therapy. It's an intense physiologic stress. Comparing it to an athletic event has positive overtones that are very appealing to patients. So I admit I've, I've started using it myself. The evidence supporting prehabilitation is it's in its early stages. We know that uh, psychosocial or psychoeducational interventions delivered principally to breast cancer patients to try and help them deal with the distress, uh, the anxiety, the depression that can too frequently attend a cancer diagnosis um, can be beneficial, those psychologically oriented prehabilitative approaches. We also know that in in, uh, patients with lung cancer undergoing lumbectomy or pneumonectomy, that conventional pulmonary rehab can be very beneficial, can get them out of the hospital sooner, reduce complication rates, enable them to receive anti-cancer therapy more quickly after their surgeries. Outside of those relatively limited applications, we are starting to use prehabilitative strategies, and those range from exercise to nutritional strategies to smoking sensation. They're quite diverse. And gradually, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will learn how, for a given individual, how do we combine those optimally to help them thrive during their treatment. And that sounds like the big key is helping people thrive through their, through their treatment. You know, breast cancer carries uh, a significant risk for lymphedema. What are some of the new strategies in, in treating lymphedema? So I think there, there are three that come readily to mind, and, and I would not limit them to, to breast cancer-related lymphedema, even though that's where much of our research um, has has tar- has focused. One is surgery. There there are now two surgical procedures: uh, lymphovenous bypass grafting, and vascularized lymph node transplant. Uh, lymphovenous bypass is an, an absurdly microsurgery where, b- really beyond human comprehension, the the surgeon. Establishes an anastomosis between the tiniest little lymph, lymph vessels, the lymph ca- uh, collect, pre-collecting and collecting vessels, and veins, giving the lymph fluid another means of egress from the tissue. Uh, 
still questions about effectiveness and even efficacy, but the procedure does seem to be safe. I, I, many of us who, who treat high volumes of lymphedema patients were initially quite concerned about exacerbating the condition, and I think we've put those fears to rest. Lymphovenous transplant involves removing a lymph node from an alternate bed and surgically implanting it in the affected tissue. We do a fairly high volume of those here at Mayo, and actually we take omental lymph nodes because there have been cases where they've taken axillary or inguinal and caused secondary lymphedema. Uh, and so again, same story. I think we're, we're increasingly convinced of the safety of the procedure, effectiveness and efficacy, not quite so clear. Stan Roxon's work, uh, this is the, the second approach I mentioned, at Stanford, he's been a leader in clarifying and elucidating lymphedema pathophysiology and trying to identify targets, uh, targetable molecules that, that, are, that mediate that process. And uh, he's done so identifying members of the leukotriene family that seem to play a, a pivotal role. And he completed a trial using uh, ketoprofen and showing that although it didn't alter size, it did curtail some of the metaplastic changes that are uh, characteristic of lymphedematous progression. So I, it's not ready for prime time, and we're all familiar with the, the downsides of chronic inset exposure. Uh, I actually will use topical inseds because mm. we know uh, diclofenac, topical diclofenac for patients that are at high risk of progression. So we, we've known that infl inflammation plays an important role, but the science is becoming more and more elegant so that we can target our therapies. But again, not, not quite ready, I think, for, for broad prime time. And the last is uh, endocyanin green mapping. <laughs> endocyanin green is a molecule that fluoresces under, uh, when, under uh, light stimulation. And what it allows us to do in real time is identify lymphatic pathways, collateral pathways, which we always knew existed, but we're never able to image them with high resolution without damaging the patient. Uh, endocyanin green seems to be a safe way of doing that. And so uh, there are current studies underway using endocyanin green to individualized massage to uh, the, that we use therapeutically manual lymphatic drainage as well as to identify aberrant uh, pathways for example genital lymphedema genitals just don't make that much lymph and so we believe that most cases of genital lymphedema are due to reflux from the legs into the genitalia and there are now case reports of using endocyanin green to identify those aberrant pathways and to eliminate them so I think that exciting new things on the horizon. One last question as a, a physiatrist in general practice. When do I think about referring somebody to a tertiary care you know, cancer rehabilitation specialist such as yourself? Well, that's a great and a difficult question. I think being conscientious about uh, addressing pain, considering cancer recurrence are, are the two key things. And most docs can do that. I don't know that you need really special training. And certainly having a low threshold for reaching out to your oncologic colleagues and, and support in your, your therapeutic community. I think when a specialist can be helpful is patients with stage four disease, 
uh, and multiple sources of impairment, multiple co- concurrent symptoms. That's where experience can really be beneficial. I also think that in refractory cases of focal pain syndromes, when mm. you've you've tried your usual usual arsenal, sure, and sure. and you're 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 not achieving results that are satisfactory to you as a practitioner or the patient, then certainly reaching out and considering a referral is reasonable. Thank you. We've been talking cancer rehab with Dr. Andrea Cheville, a colleague at Mayo Clinic and a physiatrist in physical medicine and rehabilitation. Thanks for your time, Andrea. My pleasure. This is Jeff Bro, physiatrist and PM&R at Mayo Clinic, saying thank you for your time. Until we talk again, remember the words of one of our founders, Dr. William Mayo. Rehabilitation is to be the master word in medicine. Thanks for joining us.